Hello and welcome to the She Reads Truth podcast. She Reads Truth creates beautiful, accessible Bible reading plans and resources to help you get into God's Word every day. Each week here on the podcast, we talk about what we're going to read together as a community this week. I'm your host, Rachel Myers. And I'm your other host, Amanda Bible-Williams, and this is week three of our series entitled The Life of Jesus. We are reading the Synoptic Gospels together, and we are loving it. You all have joined us for a wonderful week of reading and discussion. So our guest today is Rich Velotas. Rich is the lead pastor of New Life Fellowship Church in Queens, New York City. He is the author of a couple books, The Deeply Formed Life, and his most recent book is called Good and Beautiful and kind. Mm. He's married to a fellow she who reads truth with us. Her name is Rosie. Hi, Rosie. Hi, Rosie. They have a couple of kids, and we just, we had a great time talking with Rich about Jesus and about all the questions we have about what we read in Scripture and the ways that it makes us stand just in awe of the gift of Scripture and in awe of who God is and the gift of Jesus. And so I can't wait for you all to hear this. Let's get right to it. Rich, welcome to the She Reads Truth Podcast. We are delighted to have you here. So good to be with you. Thank you for the kind invitation. Well, thank you for saying yes. We've really been looking forward to this conversation. We've been looking forward to this series. You know, we're kicking off the new year. We can still say that because we're still in January. In the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And we talked a little bit, if you guys are just joining us for the first time for this series In today's episode, we talked a little bit about what that means in week one, but we have been looking forward to this series and specifically to this conversation because you are a mouthpiece for the gospel (laughs) in a lot of places, and I just can't wait to hear where this conversation goes. Same. Absolutely. I think that I read your kind of pre-interview, and I noticed that you have recently been studying the Sermon on the Mount. I love when stuff like that aligns. I know we Mm -hmm. read about the Sermon on the Mount last week. The fact that you're like right there in Jesus preaching and teaching like Mm -hmm. feels like, okay, we've got a lot to talk about. Yeah, there's lots there, and it's for a forthcoming book. So I've been immersed in the Sermon on the Mount for a number of months now. Okay. So yeah, when, when you said, hey, let's talk about this portion of Scripture in the, in the ministry and public life of Jesus, I thought, yeah, this is this is right up my alley right now. I love that. We were talking last week about that we're all mostly familiar with the Sermon on the Mount as it's recorded in Matthew, but how, you know, it, that slightly different wording in Luke really just hit us so beautifully last week and with the added woes and, the, and that, mm-hmm. um, it sometimes helps just kind of hear in a little bit of a fresh way, even though it's the same recorded event. But that was really cool to kind of look at the Luke account. Yeah, and I think what you're getting at is the gift of the synoptic gospels. Exactly. In that we see many different perspectives and angles that one of the gospel writers doesn't necessarily address. So we're getting a full 360 perspective on the ministry and the life of Jesus through the three gospels in particular. Yeah. I love that. It's so good. Well, we find ourselves in, if you're listening to this on Monday when it releases, we are in Matthew 10, Mark 6. We're Where really are we in Luke? finally in the section of Jesus and his public ministry. Like last yes. week, we were looking at Jesus ministering in Galilee, but this new week is really it's, public ministry, uh-huh. parables. You're going to get a lot of like just straight teaching. 
it starts to, not that it's uninteresting at first, but it starts to get really interesting (laughs) in these chapters. I was honestly surprised by how how much of what we read for this week and what y'all will read this week, I didn't understand. There was just something really beautiful and encouraging to me about that because it means I have so far to go. And mm-hmm. like in this beautiful, like I've been reading the Bible my whole life. I am a, I mean, I host a Bible reading podcast mm-hmm. and to like read these stories and go like, okay, I kind of see this, but I know there's more and I don't, I don't get that. It's awesome and exciting to me to just kind of wonder at scripture. And it, like even Rich, like I'm excited to get to talk to you because I bet there are things that you don't understand too. Oh, absolutely. I read it. There's some passages I was reading in preparation of this and I'm thinking, I have no clue. And I've, <laughs> I have <laughs> I hope they degrees don't ask me. <laughs> in theology. I mean, yeah, right. I'm just like, I still have zero clue what's going on here. So I feel like Jesus' disciples, who many times right. had no clue what he was talking about. Yeah. So I'm just like, I'm in good company here with them. It's pretty freeing <laughs> to see that the disciples who were standing with him just totally missed meanings kind of repeatedly. And, and, yeah. and at the same time that it's freeing, it's also challenging to just go like, Lord, show me the kingdom. Like, help mm-hmm. me see it the way that you see it. And the best way to do that is to read what he said, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So in today's reading, this is the first time, at least in our journey through the Synoptic Gospels and this reading plan, that we get our list of the 12 disciples. I'm feeling good, right? I'm reading from Matthew 10. I'm listening. I'm like, I know these names. I got this. And then we get to Mark 6, <laughs> verse 7, where Jesus, it says, He summoned the 12 and began to send them out in pairs and gave them authority over unclean spirits. And He says, like, don't take stuff with you. Yep. you. You don't need anything. Mm-hmm. Just head out. And I'm immediately like, oh, like, okay, we're trying to mine these texts right for like, what is this telling me about Jesus? Who is He? How does He live His life? And so Jesus grants authority. And already, Rich, I'm like, what does that mean that he's granting them authority? Mm-hmm. Because they start to use it, right? Absolutely. And what's interesting, I, I just want to put note here, because even in that first passage before Jesus sends, when he calls his disciples, I just find it really striking that Judas is on the list. Yeah. And it just yeah. reminds me that any call to community yeah. brings with the reality of fractures, from the very onset of it. And then he sends them out, even someone that he knows is going to betray him. And so it is fascinating that Jesus confers authority on his disciples, asking them and commanding them to go in his name. Mm -hmm. And yeah, there's so much there in terms of what authority means. Right. Wow, that's such a good point. Yeah. And we see them a few verses later, like at verse 12, so they went out and preached that people should repent. Mm -hmm. Mm. They drove out many demons, anointed many sick people with oil, and healed them. Hmm. I mean, it's wild to me because they're new at this, right? Mm -hmm. Like they've not, we're sitting here saying, oh, well, we've been reading our Bibles since we were young. And how many years have you been a believer, Rich? 24 years. Okay, so... It's not a new relationship, right, that we have with Jesus, and yet it's one that is still full of mystery for the three of us having this conversation. And so to imagine what it must have been like to be one of the 12, like, okay, Mm -hmm. so you're going to stay here and I'm going to go and do, it blows my mind. 
Which, I mean, speaks to me about the life of faith, that mm-hmm. Jesus doesn't wait until we've gotten multiple degrees and enough Bible classes and listen to enough She Reads Truth podcasts mm-hmm. uh-huh. before he says, I'm sending you out as a learner, not as an expert, as someone who is a perpetual beginner, which is hopefully that's the life of faith. Mm-hmm. We never get to a place where we're experts. Yeah. We're always perpetual beginners. And it is just remarkable that Jesus entrusts so much mm-hmm. of the kingdom to people that are just getting started. What a model of leadership development that most folks don't like. Right. <laughs> I yeah. want to wait until get your ten thousand hours. Clear. We got it in there. Do your whole Malcolm Gladwell ten thousand hours until you're an expert, mm-hmm. and then okay, you're approved to go out. Jesus and then don't does fail. it totally opposite. <laughs> and then you better not fail, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> Jesus is like, all right, you guys are going to start and go ahead. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to give you a lot of authority to do mm-hmm. it. Yeah. It's wild. It is. Yeah. It really is. And it reminds me, I mean, we'll read this week where Jesus says to Peter, you know, on this rock, I will build my church. And we're like, Peter? <laughs> really? Like, he's the disciple that I relate right. the most with. And that's, I don't mean that as a compliment. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and like, and on that one, there's fascinating because he confesses the Messiah, yeah. and then just a few verses later, Jesus calls him Satan. Yes. You know, it's just like, get behind me, Satan. You're right. But he's the one who's he's entrusting right. the authority, and so God's ways are not our yeah. ways. Right. That's for sure. And I think the part of the lesson here too, for me anyway, is that when I find myself wondering at this, like, wow. Why would he send such ill-equipped people, myself included? And it's like, oh, right, because it's not about me and mm-hmm. my ability. Mm-hmm. It's about him. And then, you know, and then you start to hear all these verses and, you know, come to the forefront, like when when Paul is saying, it's when I'm weak that I'm strong. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, right, okay, this is the kingdom of God. Things are not what they seem. Yeah. Yeah, you look at it and you think Jesus needs a better strategy, and then you're like, oh, this is a strategy that's so much bigger and better and fuller than anything that we could come up with. Yeah, and we're seeing the upside-down nature of the kingdom of God, that when Jesus proclaims the kingdom and embodies the kingdom, he's saying essentially that the way of success is going to be much different than the way that the world measures Mm -hmm. it, and we see that immediately here in this passage. that's right. So something I love about this first day of the week reading, and really— the way that we're reading the Synoptic Gospels is that typically when we read stories of Jesus' ministry, we read them in their little sections. And Uh when we sit down and read them, you know, in long form, we get the what happened right before that and what happens right after that. And you get to see a really good example of that in day 15. Because for the first almost 30 verses of Mark chapter 6, we read about the beheading of John the Baptist. And like, I mean, we've spent the last two weeks talking about like the coming of John the Baptist and the work that he did and how important and like critical he was and how Jesus loved him and he was baptized by John. And then he's beheaded. And right after that, Mm -hmm. it goes straight into service. (laughs) Like Jesus' cousin is killed. And then it says, the apostles gathered around Jesus, reported to him all they had done and taught. He said to them, come away by yourselves to a remote place and rest for a while. And then it says, for many people were coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. The ministry is very demanding, but also he's calling them to come away, to be alone, to be still. But he's not getting a lot of time to deal with the death of his friend. He's going right back out into service and 
trying to, you know, instruct the disciples in, in how to manage that as well. Yeah, I actually thought it was interesting that he invited them away and rest after this really probably very jarring thing happens, you yeah. know, and scary yeah. to them that he almost is like a, a measure, you know, not almost, as a measure of care. Yeah. Is the way that I read that. Yeah, I look at that. That's actually a very core passage to my own life as a pastor. Okay. I remember hearing Henry Nouwen saying that Jesus regularly illustrates two kinds of ministries that we need. We need a ministry of presence and we need a ministry of absence. Oh, I like that. Yeah. And what we see that in the Gospels is this ongoing, he's going up to a mountain and coming back down to do ministry. He's going away on the water with the disciples. Then he gets back on the shore. He's back at it. And unless we are having both ministries of presence and of absence, we're not going to have sustainability and really witness to what God is calling us to. And I think this is what we see in these passages as well in the Gospels. I do too. That's um, convicting mm-hmm. and encouraging, both. Mm-hmm. It's interesting too, Rachel, when you were saying like the power of reading not just the individual stories in these Gospels, but reading them as a story, Yeah, you know, yeah. As, a, as a historical account in order. I'd never noticed that what you pointed out, that it's like this really traumatic event mm-hmm. followed by this story that many of us know from mm-hmm. kids were taught about the feeding of the 5,000. Yeah. I wasn't taught that there was also a feeding of the 4,000, that they were not the same thing. Right. But it was twice. Yeah. And then they still worried about provision, which we'll get to. Yeah. I always, when you go to this, like, so for example, in the, the heading in the CSB, the feeding of the 5,000 is right above the passage you just read. Exactly. Yeah. And so I would just, if you I were reading, there. well, you would start there, but you'd be like, yeah, yeah, get to the Why miracle. are you even talking about what is this about? I don't know what this is, so we'll just keep reading. And so if you keep reading right there at verse 32, we've just said, you know, for many people were coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. Then it says, so they went away in the boat by themselves to a remote place, but many saw them leaving and recognized them, and they ran on foot from all of the towns and arrived ahead of them. So they saw them going across in the boat, and so they ran Mm -hmm. around on the shore. And then it says, when he went ashore— he saw a large crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Then he began to teach them many things. I just think that is like that was the occasion upon which we actually begin the conversation of the 5,000, feeding the 5,000. Right. With them chasing him down. And then and he just has instead compassion. of being annoyed. Yeah. <laughs> or just going like boundaries. <laughs> Down. Yeah, the, papar- right. it's the paparazzi, it feels like, just yeah. coming after him, meeting yeah. him in front of his yeah. house. Yeah. And compassion. I, I think that, and that's the beautiful thing that I think Jesus modeled so well. There were a couple of things. One, he was the son of God. And so he, well done. he had different boundaries and capabilities from what the disciples had. And so we get to see both modeled and his instructions for the disciples modeled. But to see Jesus have boundaries and compassion, mm-hmm. I think is really a good thing to pay attention to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I can't help but look at that and ask a question yeah. of myself is, you know, Jesus sees all who are like helpless without a shepherd. And the question I'm reading and I put in my own reflection was, you know, do I yeah. see people as helpless and without a shepherd? And how is God calling me to respond to it? And so it's amazing how scripture interrogates our own yes. lives. 
and invites us to ask questions of ourselves. That's what we see in Jesus here, his compassionate care for those who are helpless yeah. and without a shepherd. Yeah. Man, I like that a lot. And that's actually a theme. I think that I I know that Jesus had compassion. Mm-hmm. I know that God is a God of compassion, and that word is used you know, throughout the Old Testament about God. And so I knew that. That was not new information, but I'm struck in this reading plan by how many times the word is used about Jesus and about how he is feeling, you know, about his posture toward those around him, mm-hmm. which, Rich, your latest book, I'm going to mess up the title. Is it Good and True and Beautiful? Good and Beautiful Good and, and Beautiful and Kind. So close. Yeah. Um, it released I like that. last summer. In July. Mm-hmm. July 22. Yeah. 22, yeah. And I mean, that's kind of... First of all, as I was reading, you know, kind of like the description of the book, it wasn't what I thought it was going to be in like a sweet way, in a good way. I thought, oh, this book is about Jesus mm-hmm. <laughs> and about mm-hmm. followers of Jesus. And so when you read this posture that Jesus takes toward those that he could really easily be so many adjectives we could use here, like repulsed by or annoyed by or frustrated with, and he has compassion, how does that instruct us? Yeah, I think, first of all, I mean, when I think about the Gospels and the characters in these stories, one of the questions I'm asking myself is, where am I? And before I can Hmm. take on the role of being Jesus for someone else, uh, or I have to recognize I am the one who is hungry. Right. I am the one who's without a yeah. shepherd. I'm the one who is sick. I'm the one who is blind. And I think it's often the case people can read scripture and think, oh, yeah, let me be Jesus for somebody else and fail to see first and foremost, I am this wandering sheep that Jesus has shown compassion mm-hmm. on. And so, first of all, I think that's the invitation. Once we recognize the depth of our own need, and our own lostness and the ways that we are wandering without direction and how gracious God is to us in Christ is out of that place that we can begin to demonstrate what we've received. And I think that is the nature of the Mm -hmm. Christian life. It is, I am giving out of first receiving. And if I begin with giving without recognizing where I am in the story, I think that leads to lots of confusion Mm -hmm. around who I am and my relationship to Mm -hmm. God. And that's when we get into all kinds of messianic complexes and mm-hmm. mentalities that we are the ones that are actually doing it. When in fact, it is actually Christ yeah. doing it through us, but it begins with us recognizing who we are in yeah. the story. We read last week about the woman who you know knelt at Jesus' feet and washed his feet with her hair and her tears, and how you know what Jesus uses this as an example to teach the Pharisee in whose home he was that you know that the reason that she loves much is that she's been forgiven much. And I have read that story mm-hmm. and read that story. But when we read it last week in this very room yeah. and this, on the podcast, it was like reading it for the first time. Yeah. And it's that. It's what you're saying, Rich. It's that you know we just are constantly in that place of needing to remember mm-hmm. that we are the recipients of the grace and mercy of Jesus and the compassion of Jesus. Mm -hmm. And it really does, it's like an instant perspective shift. Like if we, when we really 
when that's a message that actually sinks in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sometimes it bounces off <laughs> instead of sinks in. Okay. Are we ready for more things we don't understand? Well, here's the thing. So, because I am, <laughs> there's just so much great reading this week. I'm excited for y'all to dive in. Still on Monday's reading, you're going to read the story of the feeding of the 5,000 in earnest, followed by Jesus walking on water, which is an account we don't typically read because Peter's mm-hmm. not involved in this account. But, like, again, with the like carrying on language and like really lining these things up and seeing the connectedness of an almost immediacy of what's happening in his ministry, we turn to Mark chapter 8 on day 16, and it is the story of the feeding of the 4,000. Mm-hmm. And again, like these like opening paragraphs are what are getting me this week. Like yeah. it says here, in those days, there was again a large crowd and they had nothing to eat. He called the disciples and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they've already stayed with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way and some of them have come a long distance. First of all, what must those three days have been like? like what was going on? What was Jesus talking about? It's like the road, like the Emmaus road with the disciples, and you're like, but what did they talk about? Like, can we please record that? And it's possible that, I don't know, Rich, is some of this Sermon on the Mount possibly that he was sharing? You know, I think Jesus was the the greatest preacher, and that basically means that he probably said the same thing in a lot of different uh, occasions. And so I think that I remember hearing someone saying, to preach one sermon one time is a waste of a sermon because yeah. if it's truth, it bears I repeating. Like and so I, I probably think Jesus was probably highlighting some of the things that we were sharing for in different the audiences now, because he didn't have might, podcasts exactly or right. a way to record exactly right. and replay. <laughs> there was no yeah. tape ministry, you yeah. know, or whatever. That's so true. It's just interesting, these couple of accounts of the feeding of the 5,000, and we were drawing connections last week, calling them hyperlinks, specifically like to Exodus and going like, wait a minute, Jesus did the wilderness journey, went from Egypt to the promised land also, but in obedience. Like, it was just interesting to kind of draw all of these connections and parallels that we knew existed. You know, he is the true and better Moses. But again, with these Mm -hmm. conversations about provision in the form of Mm -hmm. bread, you're immediately going, okay, manna, and like there Mm. is enough and there is just enough, or even in this case, there is enough plus. There's more than enough, yeah. And so, I I, I mean, why do you think in this case, Rich, why is there enough plus? Yeah, I think it's speaking to the generosity of God. In the miracles of Jesus, we see not just power, we see love, we see generosity. I think in letting them have extra to take home. I mean, lots of doggy bags mm-hmm. that day. You know, It's letting them know, I'm a God of provision. I'm a God of abundance. Yeah. I'm a God who cares. I'm a God who delights. Mm-hmm. I want you to de- delight in this later on. And so, yeah, whenever I look at Jesus's miracles, I can't help but think that it just, in very clear ways, gives expression to his yeah, generosity. Yeah that you cannot outgive God. Hmm. But that's what we see once again here. What I love about this passage here is, back to that compassion, when Jesus is you know, saying, we have to give him something to eat, and then the disciples start asking, like, how are mm-hmm. we going to do this? It's amazing how Jesus begins with compassion, and the disciples begin with calculation. And they're like, wait a second, we don't have mm-hmm. enough here. 
And I just love that Jesus doesn't begin there. As a leader, as a pastor, as a Christian, I too often begin Hmm. with calculation. Like this is not scalable. This is not realistic. Therefore, we're not even going to go in this direction. But it's amazing when compassion leads the way and not calculation, Hmm. that there is some room for creativity and provision in some very surprising ways. And I just love that portion of that I passage. That. Mm-hmm. I like that you use the word abundance to like really look at like, what does it mean to be true and better in this case, you know, in the context of bread? And I know that, you know, Jesus says that I have come that you'd have life and have an abundance. That comes from the book of John, the non-synoptic gospel. But that's what we see here. We see yeah. abundance and abundance comes when it starts with compassion. I love that. Okay, friends, believe it or not, we are already looking forward to the season of Lent. I know we just came out of Advent not long ago, but Lent is such a special time of year for us as believers and followers of Jesus to prepare our hearts to let the fullness of Easter take hold of us. This year for Lent, beginning February 20th, we'll spend six weeks in the books of 1st and 2nd Chronicles, reflecting on God's unwavering faithfulness to His people. This is the first time that we've read these two books of the Bible as a community, and we are ready. Then, of course, we're going to spend Holy Week in the Gospels, primarily in the Gospel of John, as we journey from Palm Sunday to Easter Sunday. Will you join us? Head to shopshereadstruth.com. That's where you can get your Lent study book. There's also a new beautiful art print. There's the 12 card set, all of the usual things. You'll find them in the shop at shopshereadstruth.com. And as always, the best way to make sure that you secure your Lent book is to sign up for our monthly subscription box. The monthly subscription box is how you can have a plan to be a woman in the Word of God every day. We send you a new study book every month and you just follow along. It is as easy as that. Shopshereadstruth.com slash subbox. Now, February 9th is the last day to order your Lent book and get it in time for the plan to start on February 20th. So head there now, shopshereadstruth.com and back to the show. Speaking of those opening paragraphs, Rachel, this next section, it's like they, so this happens, they get on a boat, they go somewhere else. And verse 11 here in Mark 8, the Pharisees came and began to argue with him. (laughs) I appreciate the directness of that sentence because that's what's happening often, right? Yeah. Demanding of him a sign from heaven to test him. And I love this little insight, sighing deeply in his spirit, Jesus said, Why does this generation demand a sign? Truly, I tell you, no sign will be given to this generation. Then he left them, got back into the boat, and went to the other side. Bless him. Mm -hmm. Just constantly having to get out, get in a boat, and just, I got (laughs) to, you guys, I got to go. And then here we go. Here are the disciples. Here we are. This is me in the story. The disciples had forgotten to take bread. That is something I would do. And had only one loaf with them in the boat. Then he, Jesus, gave them strict orders. Watch out. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. They were discussing among themselves that they did not have any bread. Which is like not actually true. They, they did. It's true. Yeah. Actually, that's a great point. Yeah. Not true. We have no yeah. bread. Well, you do. You do have one loaf. Yeah. <laughs> Aware right. of this, he said to them, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Don't you understand or comprehend Do you have hardened hearts? 
Do you have eyes and mm. not see? Do you have ears and not hear? Do you not remember? Yeah. He had just done this, yes. not once, but twice. Yeah. And I have always wondered, yes. and he said, he goes yeah, on. Read on. And do is... you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of leftovers did you collect? Twelve. Twelve, they told him. <laughs> when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many baskets full of pieces did you collect? Seven. Seven, they said. <laughs> and he said to them, don't you understand yet? Yeah. This passage actually was the one that probably stood out to me out yeah, of everything else yeah. for me. And here's why. Because Jesus says, do you have hardened hearts? The way that I have typically interpreted the language of a hard heart was one rooted in mm-hmm. rebellion. One rooted in, I'm going to do my mm-hmm. own thing. And as a result, my heart gets hard towards God. But then I see here what Jesus means by a hardened heart, that he's not getting at rebellion here. He's getting at their lack of memory, of remembering. And their failure to remember, he says it a bunch of times, you don't remember, you don't remember, you don't remember. And I think from a discipleship and formation and what does it mean to follow Jesus, anytime I'm not remembering and focusing on the ways that God has provided and shown up in my life, that's going to lead to a hard heart. Yeah. And it just hit me. I was like, wow, because it sounds pretty rough. Like, man, Jesus, are their hearts yeah. that hard? They're just asking some questions here. But I think it's very interesting that it's not necessarily out of rebellion, but out of the lack of remembering. That's good. That just hit me really hard as I was looking at this passage. Hmm. Yeah. Don't you understand yet? I mean, how mm-hmm. many times have I felt that question <laughs> asked him, you know, just like, <laughs> oh, right. Mm-hmm. It's how when we, we can be women and men in the Word of God every day, mm-hmm. and we will still be surprised yeah. by the character and nature of God. Yeah. And so when I think of that, of like when I have a hard heart, it is sometimes rebellion, right? And it is often not remembering or even just being closed off like a wall instead of a heart of flesh, like where it's just, you know, kind of bouncing off of me, like I'm not receptive. Mm -hmm. And yeah, we see that, I think, in here. There's also this, I need help here, you guys, (laughs) understanding this. There's this culture of like secrecy that we see Mm -hmm. a little bit in the, especially early in the Gospels where Jesus will perform a miracle or heal someone and say, don't tell anyone. Right. And then there are times as we keep going, that kind of stops happening, I Mm -hmm. think, or at least it happens less. There's also this language of like, I think of the language of the parables, intentionally like coded language Mm -hmm. and the way that Jesus will talk to the disciples about what's coming. And it'll say, the text will say, we get one of those somewhere in this week's reading where it will say, like, he just straight says... He predicts. He predicts. Yeah. And he said, he does use third person instead mm-hmm. of first person, like the Son of Man, this will happen, this will happen, this will happen. And it says, and they did not and understand. They understand. I feel like I've had this conversation in the past, but I find myself sitting here again today going, why? Yeah. <laughs> like, why? Yeah. I've heard this talked about. It's called the Messianic Secret. Have you heard that yes. phrase before? We've used that phrase on this podcast. Yes, yes. Rich, but talk to ha- us. Will you explain 
the messianic secret concept? Well, I don't know if I can explain it too well. You'll probably do it better than I would here. There is this progressive revelation of who Jesus yes. is throughout the Gospels, that as he's going forward, we begin to see who he is mm-hmm. in more public ways. I mean, to your point, Amanda, like the question is, yeah. why? Why is Jesus telling his disciples when Peter confesses, you are the son of God, the Messiah, in verse yes. 30, he warns them not to tell anyone about him. And I wonder if it's just the larger strategy of Jesus was not trying to draw particular kind right. of attention to himself in ways that were not in alignment with what the Father had mm-hmm. placed before him. And there was just too much more work yeah. to be done before he would really fulfill what mm-hmm, the Father yeah. had sent him to. But even so, I, there's right? still, I have lots of questions around. And then what's funny is in other gospel texts, the funniest thing to me is Jesus would often say, don't tell anyone. And oh, then the first thing that right. someone does is tell other people. It's just like, right. talk about disobedience <laughs> He just already. got this you know, huge miracle and Jesus what are you going to obey? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, and part of me too is like, of course I'm going to tell someone. Like mm-hmm. I've been blind for how many years? Like how do you keep that to yourself? I mean, it's kind of like the gospel. Like mm-hmm. how do you keep this to yourself? So as I was thinking about this, mm-hmm. this is probably a terrible analogy. So I am not saying that it's a good one. But I thought about how in like a superhero movie, the superhero just like transforms and swoops in and takes care, you know, fights the villain and takes care of it and flies back off or whatever. You know, I'm, I'm not very versed in superhero mm-hmm. movies, but I've seen a few. It's not usually a gradual thing, right? Like the announcement of their presence. There's sometimes some secrecy, like, yes, you know, Clark Kent and Superman. And so I just thought like, but Jesus was human. Like Jesus mm-hmm. isn't a superhero. Jesus is God. Yeah. Fully God, fully man. And this is not a movie set. Like, Mm -hmm. this is like a world of humans. It would, I guess, make sense that this, because he could have, he could have swooped in and just made this Mm -hmm. a big spectacle. Like you're saying, like he had to intentionally keep it, because it was already a bit of a spectacle, but intentionally pull it back Mm -hmm. and slow it down a little bit. Mm -hmm. It's really fascinating to me. Yeah. And I wonder, you know, And this won't be totally coherent because in many cases, Jesus performed so many different miracles. And then I just wonder, in some cases, was he essentially helping the people or wanting the people around him to not get so caught up on Mm. what he can give them in terms of the miraculous in such a way that that would keep Mm -hmm. people from actually him? So I want what God can give as opposed to who God is. That's good. And I wonder if there's something in there as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to focus on the temporal thing that, I mean, it was the conversation from where the friends lower the paralytic through mm-hmm. the roof, and he says, your mm-hmm. sins are forgiven. Yeah. It's just, yes, this is yeah. a thing that is wrong, but there's a bigger thing that is wrong, and I have power over both of these things. Yes. But I need to show you what the priority, like, why have I come? And that's what we've gotten to see over the last several weeks is just that this is why yes. I have come. And we even get that here in Mark chapter 8, still in day 16. It says, starting in verse 31, then he began to teach them that it was necessary for the Son of Man to suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and scribes. He be killed and rise after three days. Like, we get several times through these synoptic gospels and also in John, this like, this is why I have come. This is why it is necessary that I am here. And so he's predicting 
all of these things. He spoke openly about this. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning around and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. Like you said, Rich, you're not thinking about God's concerns, but human concerns. Like Mm -hmm. that is like that line. Mm -hmm. That's what we've been talking about. Yeah. Yeah, And that Peter's concerns is, you know, for me, I read that as Peter's desire for human earthly power. And why are you going to go? I mean, we need to get this kingdom started here and you are the one who's leading the way. And if you're dead, we're not going to have the kind of power that we need socially Mm -hmm. and politically. And so what are you doing? And yet Jesus is saying, you're after some human concerns. There's a kingdom outside of this world that you must get in touch with. And it's interesting that he calls him Satan in that as well. A heavy rebuke from Jesus. To the man he just said, I'll build my church upon you. (laughs) But then like immediately after that, and this is why I love stringing these sections together because they're intended to be read together. Because right Mm -hmm. after he says, you're not thinking about God's concerns, but human concerns. Then he says, calling the crowd along with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life, will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me and the gospel will save it. For what does it benefit someone to gain the whole world and yet lose his life? What can anyone give in exchange for his life? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. Like, this is kingdom talk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And he's making a distinction here of there is a difference, Peter, between a life of self-giving love and a life of self-centered power. And that's what Peter's after. Peter's after the kingdom. How are we going to benefit? And Jesus says, in my kingdom, this is not how we're operating. Denying yourself, following me. But this is a way of self-giving, not self-oriented, mm-hmm. not self-centered. I love the juxtaposition that Jesus sets up here yeah, in that passage. Yeah. We are no different <laughs> than Peter, you know, like that, mm. because that even the way you just articulated that was so succinct and helpful, like that the difference between self-sacrificing love and self-centered, self-centered power. Yeah, self-centered power, yeah. The world would tell us that like, yeah, you don't want to be loud about wanting self-centered power, but really that's what you want. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. just don't mm-hmm. just don't be obnoxious yeah. about it. Mm-hmm. Just have it quietly, <laughs> you know? But it's not yeah. it's not the way of God and the way of the kingdom. Right after Matthew chapter 16 where, you know, Peter is told you are the rock upon which I will build my church. Mm-hmm. We get a really clear-cut story that is very simple. <laughs> To understand the transfiguration. Yes. <laughs> in Matthew is, chapter 17. This is expose all the things that Amanda has never understood, Day, yeah. on the She Reads Truth <laughs> podcast. But I am fascinated yeah. by the story of the transfiguration. And I remind myself, it is not just a story. It is a thing that happened. It is an account. What do you, I mean, when you read that story and you read the story, Rich, preparing for this podcast again for, you know, however many times you've read this, like, did you see new things this time? Or like, how does it make you feel? Yeah. (laughs) It's like therapy session. How do you feel? Here's my first question, honestly, because Jesus 
reveals himself in his glory. And then Moses and Elijah mm-hmm. show up. No big deal. And then Peter go, you know, he's, of course, he's the one to start talking. And he says, we should build these like booths, these places yeah, for you. Rock. Here's my yeah. first thing. How did he know it was Moses and Elijah? Did right. they have name tags? Did they so just have like a like, sense? Yeah, I don't um, know. That's a great question. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, did Moses have like two massive I think tablets probably. with him? And yeah. it's like, oh, yeah, of course, the that's beard. Moses. And Elijah yeah. was on a chariot. You know, what was going on there? He just or knew. did that Jesus was my first say, question. Like, Peter, it's meet Moses, meet, Moses. <laughs> meet Elijah, my buddies. <laughs> right, right. It could have been something simple as that here. This is Mo mm-hmm, and this that's is right. Eli and uh, names my buddies. Yeah. That's the first thing. That word transfigure, actually, I remember a number of years ago doing a word study on it, that it's the same word where we hear in Romans 12, where don't be conformed, but be transformed. That It's a, like a metamorphosis of Jesus showing what's on the inside is now coming mm. to the outside. That's what we see in the transfiguration. Mm. You know what it reminds me of? I mean, I'm not sure if you're Lord of the Rings fans, but... There's a moment when Gandalf, he reveals himself. Some of your listeners will probably mm-hmm. know this here. And he's and like in pure yeah. glory and just radiance. And for me, that's the picture I get here. Like, and they bow at his feet. It's just a holy, sacred moment. It's actually a precursor to what we see in the book of Revelation, where Jesus reveals himself as the resurrected, glorified mm-hmm. one. He's giving them a sneak preview mm-hmm. of what's to come, of who he really is. And yeah, there's still... Tons of questions around this particular yeah. story. It feels significant when God comes to earth and speaks of his son, right? And so even that, mm. you know, God speaks and says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And with Moses and Elijah, these are two of the greatest prophets. Actually, Moses is regarded as the greatest prophet in the scriptures. But even with those two there, they bow yeah. at the feet of Jesus. Hmm. And I think what's fascinating, because as I mentioned maybe before our, we recorded this, that I've been reading mm-hmm. the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus would say on a regular basis, you have mm-hmm. heard it said, but I say to you that I am the definitive word on everything here. Mm-hmm. And so that doesn't mean, of course, I mean, I love the Old Testament. I love the Hebrew scriptures. I'm in them. Jesus is in the tradition of the prophets which is why in one of our readings this week, they think, is this Elijah or come yeah, on, you know, yeah. who came back or what have you? Because his life was so consistent with mm. Old Testament prophets. So I love the Hebrew scriptures and the Old Testament. But at the end of the day, Jesus takes preeminence over everything. And so those words, listen to him, speaks to where our attention should be. It should be on the life and the words of Jesus. Mm, that's mm-hmm. good, Yes. I feel such tenderness (laughs) toward Peter a lot of the time, tenderness and frustration alternating, how he's like, okay, yeah, I'm going to make, you know, you need these booths. I got you, Jesus. What you need is a shelter. Yes. And while he's (laughs) still speaking is when God speaks, you know, from heaven, and then they they fall face down. You know, Mm -hmm. he immediately forgets his idea about building the booths, and they fall Mm -hmm. face down, terrified. And it says in verse 7, Jesus came up touched them and said, get up, don't be afraid. Mm. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus alone. And I just find that such a, it's hard to imagine a more kind of intimate encounter Mm -hmm. than that sort of sequence of events. And then here we go, verse 9, as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, don't tell anyone about the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. Hmm. 
Like this was just for to you. Which I would just I would just know that I put the word why right there yeah. in why? the margin. <laughs> why? And we don't know, and it's okay that it's okay that we don't uh, that we don't know. There's a lot in Matthew 17 that is just like uh-huh. that. I don't because I mean even like the power of Jesus over like the whole thing is fascinating mm-hmm. and interesting. Mm-hmm. And then I'll say like of Wednesday's reading this week, day 17. I mean, it is just like any of this that we read it would just be really interesting to talk about. I'm so personally drawn to the parable of the unforgiving servant. I think it's just beautiful. Do you guys want to talk about that? Can we read that passage? Sure. No, I don't want to talk about that. (laughs) I feel like that was a trick question, Rachel. that was a trick question. That was a leading question, at least. Rich, would you want to read, starting in verse 21 through 35? Yeah, happy to do that. Then Peter approached him and asked, Lord, how many times must I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? As many as seven times? I tell you, not as many as seven, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle accounts, one who owed 10,000 talents was brought before him. Since he did not have the money to pay it back, his master commanded that he, his wife, his children, and everything he had be sold to pay the debt. At this, the servant fell face down before him and said, be patient with me and I will pay you everything. Then the master of that servant had compassion, released him, and forgave him the loan. That servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him, started choking him, and said, pay what you owe. At this, his fellow servant fell down and began begging him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he wasn't willing. Instead... He went and threw him into prison until he could pay what was owed. When the other servants saw what had taken place, they were deeply distressed and went and reported to their master everything that had happened. Then after he had summoned him, his master said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Shouldn't you also have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And because he was angry, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay everything that was owed. So also my heavenly father will do to you unless every one of you forgives his brother or sister from your heart. It's not a light passage to read. It's a very long answer to the question, when can I be finished forgiving somebody? That's essentially what Peter's asking, right? It's like, when can I be done? Mm-hmm. I know that seven yeah. means something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know you love that number. So, yeah. like, you like that number. Can that be how many times? Yeah, it was standard in that practice that before Jesus gives that number, that it was three that okay. they were expected to do. And so, look what it seems like Peter. Oh, he's he being generous. It. He doubles it and then adds one for measure and says, "Listen, I'm doing seven, baby. This is really right. good." Huh. And Jesus is like. Not today, man. We still got some work to do. So he's Mm. trying to, Peter thinks he's being generous. And in fact, Jesus is saying, you're still falling way short of it. I mean, it's that first John, like we love because he first loved us. We can't Mm -hmm. out love God. We can't out forgive God. And like, that's what this passage is showing us. Like, I mean, it's the woman with the alabaster jar, you know, like she loves much because she was forgiven much. Mm -hmm. And likewise here, There's no horse high enough (laughs) for us because we owe our debt is so great. Yeah, yeah. 
And it reminds me uh, very similar to that passage of the disciples with the hard heart that mm-hmm. they forgot about the miracles. Here we have another, like an example of kind of a grace amnesia where mm-hmm. this guy mm-hmm. forgot just what he received yeah. and did not remember so it. And then too. when he saw someone who owed him just a little bit, and then the interesting is how vastly different the amounts were. It's this grace amnesia that this guy had a hard time with. He gets really judged and rebuked for it. Yeah. I mean, Rich, it's what you said. Like one of the exercises for you when you read these stories is where am I in this story? Mm -hmm. And you want to place yourself in the position of the forgiver, but to go like, I'm the forgiven. Where do I want to be? Yeah. 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 I mean, that's a fun game to play with the parable of the lost son, which we'll read the following day, (laughs) which is, you know, And it is such a portrait of the kingdom of God where we live in a world of finite resources. Power oftentimes equals provision, which we think will equal peace, right? Mm -hmm. But in the kingdom of God, there's no reason for the elder brother to be angry. But in our world, there's a lot of reason for the elder brother to be angry, right? I think it was Dave Lomas who said that one of the reasons we read Scripture is to remember the story that we live in. And like that scarcity mentality or, you know, that drives us to seek power and wealth, all the things, like that's not the story we live in. In the kingdom of God, there's always enough. There's always enough forgiveness. There's always enough abundance. There's always enough love and compassion and room, room to bring others in. I mean, all these times, another thing that I've loved about reading these stories all together has been seeing the number of times that Jesus is caught, with air quotes, Mm -hmm. eating with sinners Mm -hmm. or hanging out with sinners, you know, and it's because there's there's always room, like nothing for him to be afraid of. You know, in that story with the elder son, he lived really this zero-sum game, and uh-huh. which is scarcity, mm-hmm. which is in order for me to win, mm-hmm. you have to lose. That's right. Which is, I mean, that's the way that politics operates in our society. Uh, that's right. That's the way that people who are very insecure operate. Like, yes. in order for me to feel good about myself and my social media or my books yep. or whatever, you have to fail. There's no yeah. room for two of us here. And yeah. that's what the elder son is doing. There's not enough mm-hmm. generosity and enough provision to go around. Mm-hmm. And he finds himself in great bondage standing outside of the party. I mean, you think about bondage standing outside of the party. This immediately made me think yesterday as I was reading it of Jonah, like Jonah Mm -hmm. and Nineveh, where he's like, no, 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 like don't forgive them. They don't get this. This is mine. It is either mine or theirs. And if they get it, I don't want it. And he's instead of, you know, in like this beautiful party of repentance and like Mm -hmm. God's forgiveness on display in a huge way, he's in the belly of a whale. Mm. He's like, I mean, he just like, Mm -hmm. I hadn't drawn that connection before, but yesterday I was like, oh my word, this is Jonah. That's a Mm -hmm. great connection. And Jonah failed to see, although he hated the Ninevites and he saw their own corruption and wickedness, he could not see any of the Ninevites in himself. And as a result, had this posture, I'm totally above them and not as much of need of grace as they Mm -hmm. are. Mm -hmm. And I think whenever we get to that point where we go, I don't need as much grace as they do. Right. Boy, we are on the wrong track, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, Jesus is quick to call out self-righteousness and empty 
piety, all of that. You all will also read the story of the rich young ruler, which we alluded to, I think it was last week with Afshin, because he was saying how, you know, the importance of counting the cost of following Mm -hmm. Jesus. Like all of this that we're talking about, this kingdom of God also connects to, you know, we were talking about with Dave, like it's largely unseen. Like a lot of this is unseen, right? There's the unseen and the seen, and there he described it as porous. Like one is, you know, the unseen is always kind of infiltrating Mm -hmm. the scene, and we were discussing the Holy Spirit. It was a good time. But with the rich young ruler, this connects for me because you know, the rich young ruler, you can kind of imagine him doing the math of counting the cost of following Jesus in his head right. and walking away sad and dejected because he can't, the math, it doesn't work, mm. right? And so mm-hmm. he walks away. And, you know, it's one thing to talk about this kingdom. It's another to live in it and mm-hmm. and make choices based on those kingdom values. It's another yeah. like very important type of kingdom math to pay attention to. Like we've been talking about how much I've been forgiven and so how grateful I am. And mm-hmm. in this case, he's doing a kind of a different kind of kingdom math where he's going, mm-hmm. how much do I have to give up in mm-hmm. order to follow him? And it's a dangerous kind of kingdom math because well, it, it's the kind that doesn't see the kingdom. This passage as well, I saw some things and had some questions in my own life about this mm-hmm. because... Jesus does, it's interesting when he talks to the rich young ruler and he says, you know, you know, the commandments Mm -hmm. and he lists five of them, five, six, seven, eight, and nine. And Jesus leaves out one, two, three, four, and 10. You haven't committed adultery, you haven't murdered, you haven't stolen, you haven't bear false witness, you honor your father and mother. Mm -hmm. What Jesus doesn't include is you don't have any idols, Mm-hmm. And he was essentially letting this man know that you could do nine of the commandments. And if you miss out on that first one, you are in some deep trouble. And so that was one thing. But, you know, here's the question That's that I asked myself with this passage. What's the one thing that I would walk away sad if yeah. Jesus said, let it go? And he doesn't tell everyone to let go of their money. Yeah. But for this guy, there was something particular about this man who Jesus said, give up all your wealth. He doesn't tell that to everyone. And I just wondered to my own life, like, what would, if Jesus said, I stopped asking the question because I, I don't know if I really want to hmm. uh, listen to what Jesus might tell me. Yeah. But if Jesus said, let go of this, what would make me walk away sad? And I think the answer to that speaks to the reality of the idols that live deeply in my heart, Yeah, which is what this story, I think, is trying to help us yeah. get at. And here's the thing. Because we know and are continuing to learn who Jesus is and how Jesus is, right, that he is compassionate, because that question, it silences me too. It can make me feel dejected and walk away sad, like the rich young ruler. But when I remember who it is I'm talking to Mm -hmm. and that it is the same Jesus, it's okay that we are that messed up. 
and he knows it. It's not a secret, right? And I look at this story, and we'll just we'll kind of end here because we're running out of time, which uh-huh. always makes us so sad. But in Luke 18, y'all have so much good reading. I mean, I wish you could see how marked up our mm-hmm. books are in these last Don't couple days day. reading. Do not miss a day. Yeah. But in Luke 18, there's a story of a blind man that Jesus restores his sight. It shows to me so much of Jesus' character. Verse 35, as Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the road begging. Hearing a crowd passing by, he inquired what was happening. Jesus of Nazareth is passing by, they told him. So he called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then those in front told him to keep quiet, but he kept crying out Hmm. all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and commanded that he be brought to him. When he came closer, he asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, he said, I want to see. Receive your sight, Jesus told him. Your faith has saved you. Hmm. And I just think, that's us. That's the call of the gospel. Mm -hmm. Like, we don't have to know, how am I going to live without my dependence on my health or financial security or my family? the health and presence of my family. And we don't have to know. We just have to call out. (laughs) We just have to know who Jesus is to be able to answer that question and put our faith there. That's us, y'all. Yeah. And I love that. The irony of the Gospels is that the people who often could not physically see had much more spiritual vision than those who could see. And over and over again, you know, the demons knew who Jesus was more than everyone else. It's just yeah. so much irony in the gospel. And this one here reminds me of the same. When I recognize the depth of my blindness, that's when I can truly begin to see. Mm, I love that. Rich, thank you so much for this hour. I hate that it's over, but my goodness, <laughs> this was awesome. Me too. Thank you. I, I love your love for scripture and getting into the granular aspects of it, as well as the big picture theological aspects of it. And so this has been a gift for me. So thank you. This is fun. It is always just a real privilege to any guest. And I mean, you have been no exception. In fact, you've been exceptional um, Mm -hmm. to get to just open God's Word, to light in it, and always see new things. That's what we prayed Mm -hmm. before we hit record, right? That we would see new things. And I for sure got to do that, and the Holy Spirit carried us, and I'm really grateful. Yeah, and you all, when you read just any day, any time mm-hmm. that you open God's Word, that can be your prayer. Yeah. Like, Holy Spirit, meet me, show me new things, open my eyes, mm-hmm. soften my heart. That's right. Have mercy on me. Like, Show me where I am in the story. Yes, all of that. That is not unique to us sitting down to have a podcast recording. Right. That is what it looks like to have a relationship with God, to read His Word, and also to read it in community That's with right. other believers. That's right. It's fun. Yeah. So yeah. open your Bibles this week, right? <laughs> oh, I, t- I stole Rich's line. Yeah, you stole Rich's line. We have to tee him up for it. Okay, it's coming. Okay. Sorry. We are at the, this is week three. This is your starting point. So read this week. Y'all be women and men in the Word of God every day this week, and then come back next week. We have a great guest coming, and we're excited. And until next week, Rich, what do we tell our friends? Keep opening your Bibles. <laughs>